Before we engage God's Word together today, I need to correct something I said last weekend. I said that next weekend we would be resuming our study of the ancient book of Daniel, and we will be studying Daniel next weekend. But then we'll be suspending our study of Daniel until September. Turns out Daniel had a timeshare in the Adirondacks. <laughs> July, August is his time. If he doesn't use it, he loses it, and he paid too much, and he tried to get out of it, but he wasn't able to get out of it effectively. Seriously, because of our vacation schedules, because of my annual Seeking the Lord sabbatical in August, beginning in July, we'll be doing a seven-week series that we're calling Jesus in His Own Words. Everybody wants to define Jesus, tell us what Jesus thinks and what Jesus would do, but we need to know Jesus in His own words. And so over those seven weeks during July and August, the staff and I will be studying the seven I am statements of Jesus. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world, and so on. I'll be doing three of those. The staff will be doing four of those. And then in September, when Daniel gets back from the Adirondacks, we'll pick up our study and finish that before Thanksgiving. Now, this Father's Day weekend, I want to speak to our dads. That doesn't mean that everybody else should check out at this point or get out your phone and set it on silent and play Minecraft. Those familiar with Scripture know that when Scripture speaks to a specific group of people, a specific church, even a specific person, it is still speaking to us all. Paul's letter to the church in Corinth wasn't just for Corinthians, it was for all of us. So as I speak to dads today, there'll be something for all of God's people and for all of the people in this room. Our text today is going to come from the New Testament book of Ephesians, the sixth chapter and the fourth verse. It contains these words of instruction from Paul to fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And it's those last four words, instruction of the Lord, that I want to make our focus today in a teaching that I've titled, The Invisible Cloak. Let's pray together. Father, we're about to encounter you through your living word and your Holy Spirit that opens our understanding to receive the word and gives us power to apply the word. Because of that, I pray for a fresh equipping from your spirit for this never to be repeated hour. And I pray for a fresh equipping of your spirit upon us all that we might understand what you're saying to us and that we might apply it by faith. As always, we pray these things in Jesus' name, recognizing we're not deserving. We have no claim, as it were. We're dependent upon your mercy and your grace and your great loving heart. So speak to us, enlighten us, transform us, and do it for the honor of your name and the welfare of this broken world that needs the church to be the church. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
And amen. And as we listen for God's voice together this morning, may the Lord be with you. Have you noticed that when Jesus preached, he preached for results? By that I mean he didn't invite people to debate. He didn't invite people to speculation. He called people to a decision. The decision to take up God's truth and live by it. Toward that end, when Jesus was teaching, he often fashioned his sermons around an image. One compelling, memorable, mental picture. Sometimes it's believed he would point out something his hearers could see, like a man sowing seed. Because Jesus understood that imagery captures our attention. It helps us to translate spiritual truth from theory into reality. And it helps us translate his words into actions. So Jesus often focused on one compelling image, a prodigal son, struggling to understand his father's love and then struggling to receive his father's mercy. A woman searching desperately for a lost coin. A compassionate Samaritan, a man who had lived as a victim of prejudice, taking moments and time and resources to help a victim of violence. Well, today I want to follow Jesus' example. I want to point to a scene, not one that's taking place out in the neighborhood, but one drawn from a film that was introduced in 2004. And that year it won the Academy Award for Best Picture. It's a film entitled Crash. It's a timeless tale, as relevant today as it was in 2004. A tale of prejudice and racial and social tensions in 21st century Los Angeles. Now, one of the film's more admirable characters, because some of them aren't admirable, is Daniel Ruiz, a Mexican-American locksmith. When a stray bullet strikes his young daughter's bedroom window, Daniel decides it's time he move his family to a safer neighborhood. And so they make that move. But I think you know fears can move just as easily as families. And in the case of his daughter, Laura, her fears follow her to the new home and to the neighborhood. One night, as she's lying in bed, she heard a loud bang. And to her, it sounded like gunfire once again. So she took refuge underneath her bed. And that's when Daniel found her when he returned home from work and entered her room to kiss her goodnight. And having set the stage, now I invite you to look to the side screens and watch what occurred next. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's scared of something. Take a while to sometimes. 
Daniel's daughter, Laura, had learned something at an early age that we all learn at an early age, even if we can't 
capture it, and convey it in words. We learn that the world we currently experience is not the world that God intended. Because of humanity's tragic, misguided rebellion against God, this world is filled with sounds in the night that no child and no adult should ever hear. The sounds of sirens, that's three or four times a night in my neighborhood. The sounds of sorrow and suffering. The sounds of division and depression and desperation. The ugly sounds of prejudice and hatred and violence. And worst of all, the unrelenting sound of spiritual lies. Those are the things that go bang in our nights. Now, thankfully, thankfully, we don't have to seek refuge under some bed. God offers us an invisible cloak, one that will protect us from the threatening noises of the night. And those who have that cloak can live with clarity and with certainty and with confidence and with unrelenting courage. What is the invisible cloak? If I were to ask people that question, some might suggest, well, the invisible cloak is Jesus because Scripture says we have put on Christ. And that would be a correct answer. Somebody else might say, well, the invisible cloak is the righteousness of Jesus because Paul tells us that we have put that on and we're to put it on daily. But in light of our text that we're looking at today, I'd like to suggest a different definition for the invisible cloak. God's invisible cloak is the biblical worldview that interprets all things through the lenses of His revealed truth. The biblical worldview that interprets all things through the lenses of His revealed truth. It's more than a hodgepodge collection of disconnected pieces of biblical material, a couple favorite Bible stories, and a few promise verses. It's God's start-to-finish seamless narrative of the world. It begins with God creating It moves to humanity's tragic rebellion. After that, it moves to God's loving, planned response in Jesus. The outworking of that response in the cross and the resurrection. Redemption and forgiveness by God's grace. The establishment of the church, God's community. And then the final restoration of creation and those who believe. And the final restoration to God's original intent. That story, that seamless narrative is the story that enables us to think biblically. It enables us to live abundantly because if you can't think biblically, you won't live abundantly. It enables us to discern evil and good, to answer life's deepest questions, and to trust Jesus when things go bang in the night. Now, God's invisible cloak is best offered early. Because we know that the earliest pictures and the earliest images and stories a child encounters are the ones most likely to stay with them for life and shape who they become. The earliest stories are the ones that tend to shape children's thoughts of God. 
But like Laura, children can't find peace in God's invisible cloak unless someone lovingly and intentionally offers it to them, as Daniel did in that scene. And that tender gesture by that father really captures the heart of God. Every time I see it, I see a beautiful picture of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. He wants to talk us back off the ledge of fear and our misperceptions and cloak us with liberating, redeeming truth. It's a picture of the heart of God. It's a picture of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But it's something else. It's a picture of the assignment God has given to every Christian father. God only calls fathers to help their children become mature adults. He calls them to help their children become mature biblical realists, people who can make sense of the world and people who can make sound judgments in the world because they understand what's going on. They understand who God is. They understood who, understand who they are. They understand where they're at. They understand what is ahead. They understand that the fruits of heaven and hell currently coexist in this world. And God created the former, humanity created the latter. They understand that faith doesn't remove all evil in this current age. It will remove it one day. But until then, faith gives us opportunities to experience God's love and extend and express God's grace. They think biblically. They understand that we are headed for a new eternal neighborhood where our fears cannot follow us and where there is no gunfire. Our text reminds us that the invisible cloak is given through continual instruction and consistent demonstration in both talk and walk. Instruction that isn't echoed in example. Instruction that's harsh. Instruction that's inconsistent. Instruction that is incomplete produces angry children. Paul acknowledged that. Children who are crushed in spirit. Children who are frustrated by their thoughts of God. And it creates tough reclamation projects for the church and for the Holy Spirit. In short, and I didn't mean for this to rhyme, fathers may tell, but they will not teach unless they practice what they preach. (laughs) Now, when Daniel found Laura under her bed, she was already cloaked. She was cloaked with her fear. And the cloak of fear could have easily become her permanent covering had her father not offered her an alternative. If we don't offer children the invisible cloak of faith, they won't go about naked. They'll cover themselves. And they'll cover themselves with the cloak of lies that are offered to them by the world. These lies had their origin in the one known as the father of lies. And these lies are peddled 20 Four, seven to our children. They are peddled by a corrupt culture that is tolerant of anything and everything but truth and God. 
They are peddled by educational systems that are increasingly compromised by unbelief. They are peddled by the lyrics of popular music. They are peddled by the narratives of popular entertainment. And they're peddled by the counsel of uninformed and misguided friends. And foremost among the cultural lies that are bombarding our children in this hour is the lie that truth and reality is determined by our feelings. If I feel it, it's true. If I feel it, it's real. If I don't feel it, it's not true. If I don't feel it, it's not real. That's becoming the mantra of our culture. And it's a lie from the pits of hell. And godly fathers must teach their children that it is a lie. They must teach their children that our feelings are not God. God is God. Our feelings do not define God. God defines God in His Word. Our feelings don't define truth. God defines truth. The reality is our feelings don't even define us. The notion that what you feel defines you is not a biblical notion. It's a lie. You are not defined by what you feel. You are defined by the God who created you, who breathed the breath of life into you, who made you unique and invested an eternal soul in you. See, our feelings can't be trusted because our feelings are merely echoes and responses to what our minds perceive. And Scripture says, until our minds are opened to understanding by the work of God's Holy Spirit, we cannot comprehend reality. We cannot comprehend God. We cannot comprehend the truth of God. The natural man cannot grasp God's truth. And even believers, we are told, even after our understanding has been opened, our understanding is not complete. The New Testament is clear. We know in part. The day is coming when we will know all things, but currently we just know a small piece of things. For that reason, and for the fact that the human heart is deceitful, we cannot trust feelings. We have to trust God as revealed in Jesus and His Word. Our feelings are often out of sync with reality, out of sync with God, out of sync with truth. And so to define God, define truth, and define ourselves by feelings is to pursue a path that leads to eternal disappointment. And fathers have to teach their children that truth. They have to teach their children that we're not called to bend God's truth to accommodate our feelings, to create God in our own image. We are called to submit our feelings to God so that He might correct them. We need to ask God to purify our perceptions, to transform our judgments, to transform our feelings so they are in sync with Him and with His truth and with reality. No child will figure that out on their own. The reality is many adults will live without ever figuring that out. 
So children need intentional, consistent instruction. And they need an image. They need a mental picture that will help them to grasp the truth. And that's why God calls fathers to provide a compelling image of righteousness. Notice I said a compelling image. I didn't say a perfect image. My father provided me with a compelling image of righteousness. Dad did not provide me with an image of perfection. He had his moments. I often instigated those moments. (laughs) And I was often on the receiving end as he expressed those moments. He didn't do it perfectly. No father does it perfectly. But his image, his example was compelling because he did it consistently. Not perfectly, but consistently. And when a father is consistent in proclaiming and modeling the righteousness of God, his occasional failures, his occasional lapses only serve to prove the rule. You see, if you are consistent in your faithfulness, your children will overlook your failures and they'll follow the example of your faithfulness. You'll never be a perfect image, but you can be a compelling image. Even when I was rebelling against God, even when I said I would not darken a church door the rest of my life, I couldn't deny the reality of God as I saw it in my dad. And when I was doing my rebellion time, that compelling image always stayed with me. I want to close with another image taken from the same film, but I need to set things for this particular scene. Near the end of the film, as Daniel returns home from work, as he exits his work van, he is approached by an Iranian store owner from the neighborhood. This particular store owner had been robbed repeatedly, and he was frustrated. He had hired Daniel to install new locks at his place of business, and Daniel had done so. But Daniel had warned him that the new locks weren't enough. He pointed out that the hinges on the door to the shop were rusted and that somebody seeking to make entry could easily pry the door off its hinges and effectively bypass the new locks. But the Iranian store owner didn't listen, and after Daniel installed the locks, he was robbed yet again, and they took everything. Well, he assumed that Daniel, who installed the locks, kept the combination, and Daniel had returned to rob him. So he shows up at Daniel's home with a pistol in his hand. He's armed. He's agitated, he's frustrated, he's out of control. And that's where we encounter the invisible cloak once again. Because as he confronts Daniel, Lara is watching from the picture window of the house. And she knows Daddy isn't wearing the cloak, she is. So watch the scene.
What the Iranian store owner didn't realize, the gun he had grabbed in his anger, left by the previous owner, contained blanks. He didn't know that, but neither did Laura when she ran out. She rushed to her dad's aid because she believed what she told her dad at the end. She believed that the cloak, the invisible cloak, is a really good cloak. And for her, it was. It delivered her from fear and turned her fear into courage. And as good as that invisible cloak was, God's invisible cloak is even better. It's a really, really, really good cloak. Dads, God wants you to put it on. Then he wants you to place it intentionally, carefully, daily, consistently upon your children so that they not only will make their way through this world, but so that they will live abundantly and change the world for the glory of God rather than being changed by the world for their own loss. With that, I'd like to ask the dads who are with us today to stand so that I might pray for you and your task of bestowing the invisible cloak upon your children. You do that when they're young, but I'm a grandfather and I know you keep it up when you get older. You keep doing it with your adult children. You do it with your grandchildren. If you live long enough, you do it with your great-grandchildren. So let me pray for you as you bestow the invisible cloak upon your family. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for the high and holy calling that you have given to fathers. You often refer to yourself as Father in Scripture, and you're not showing a preference for male versus female. We're all created in your image, and we understand that. But you present yourself as the one responsible for protection and nurture and care. And you call us to walk in your footsteps. You call us to put the invisible cloak on our children just as you put it upon us that day we confess Jesus. Father, I pray for these men as they seek to do that, as they seek to bestow the invisible cloak. First of all, I pray for a fresh infilling from your Holy Spirit upon them. Because we can't carry out our assignment by might, by power, by ingenuity, by strength of character, by our own wits. We can only carry out a supernatural assignment with the supernatural wisdom, discernment, and power of the Holy Spirit. So, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on each of these men and do that daily. And make them aware that they daily need to seek your empowering, your equipping, your wisdom, and your guidance. Then, Father, I pray that the enemy who knows their strategic role and comes against them incessantly would be defeated at every turn, that no weapon formed against them would prosper. I pray that when the enemy comes in against them, that they would be able to discern his attack, discern the source of it, 
discern truth from lies. Turn the attack back upon him to his loss and to their eternal gain and to their family's gain. Father, I pray that you would make them great husbands because the primary way a man is a good father to his children is by being a great husband to his wife, their mother. Father, I pray that you would help these men to define themselves not by the world's standards, to measure themselves not by the world's standards, but by your truth. Let them know your definition of manhood. Let them know your benchmarks of success in life and help them to live for that one opinion, the only one that will matter for eternity. I pray that you would protect every element of their life, their emotions, their physical health, their vocational life, their income, their spiritual walk, and their marriages. I pray that you would enable them to do an excellent job of fleshing out your heart and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the lives of their children, that they would demonstrate that same tenderness and that same wisdom that we saw in Daniel. Father, today I pray that you would launch each of these men into a new season of fathering that will be greater and more complete than anything they've done heretofore. And finally, if they have children who have walked away from the faith, Lord, I pray that they would not despair, but they would keep praying, knowing that while they may not be with their adult children, you have your agents everywhere. And those prodigals are never out of your sight, and you always have somebody close to them that knows Jesus. So help them to keep praying. Help them to keep trusting. Help them to keep believing that at some point their children will pick up that invisible cloak and make it their own. So we commission these dads today. Bless them and make them a blessing in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's affirm our fathers today.